Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. How many of you have ever felt insignificant? Okay, today I'm preaching to you. Next week I'm going to preach about those that lied about it. (laughs) Because chances are we've all felt insignificant. We've been studying our prophets. And today my topic is the significance of the insignificant. The significance of the, yeah, y'all got me where I can't even say it now. You know what I'm talking about. We feel insignificant. But I want to share today some insights, and maybe you can relate to it, because I think every one of us sometimes have the mully grubs. Some of us feel like we're nobodies. How many knows that God uses nobodies all the time? He, he does that. He, he, he does that. And today we're going to look at and a guy by the name of Gad. How many knows everything there is to know about Gad? Do you know anything about Gad? That's what Daniel said. Daniel said, Pastor, what's your prophet you're going to speak about today? I've read, looked at it and said, I, I, I said, I want to preach about Gad. He said, who's Gad. I said he was one of the insignificance that proved to be very significant. Did a lot. But some of us, we, we do feel bad. Now, Lee, you put a lot of pressure on me. I can't remember what I said last service. He said I had a, enough for five sermons. I thought I was good to get one out of it, you know. So, so I, I'll have to get his notes. Maybe he have something better than I am. But, you know, the re- reality is I know I did say that sometimes we say, good Lord, it's morning. And God wants us to say, good morning, Lord. Amen. Amen. We, it's a brand new day. So we're talking about Gad. And I know some of you don't have a clue. But he was David's seer, David's prophet. And he made just a couple prophecies that we have recorded. And the first one's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Verse 5 and 6. Then the prophet Gad said to David. One good thing about that, that's the easiest name of the prophet that I've come across yet. Remember last week, there were so many names in there, I almost skipped them and said, uh, name to Meshach, Bendigo, uh, you know, whoever. But then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. And Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand, and all of his servants were standing about him. Now, the first thing that he said, Gad sent word to David, said, David, you need to get out of Dodge because Saul knows where you are. 
He knows where you are, and he's going to bring his entire army, and you need to escape. Now, I know some of you say, I didn't read all that, but that was the essence of it. He said, you need to escape. So this prophet said, David, run for your life. Run for your life. And guess what? He did. Now, if this insignificant man had not told David to get out of town, now we know God could have spared him some other way, but there'd have been a good possibility that David would have never been able to have Solomon. He would have never been able to have his children and the lineage of Jesus would have been stopped because this was when he was still in the stronghold. This was still early on. And so we realize that this insignificant man said, go and leave here. And you know how upset Saul was about it? The Bible says that 84 who wore the ephod, 84 priests, 80, uh, 85, excuse me, 85 people that were in the priesthood, they wore the sacred ephod, he killed them. How many thinks he's pretty mad? He was upset. David would have been one of those people killed. He killed 85 of them. So how many of you think that the message of this insignificant prophet was significant? Now, the next time we have recorded is in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, begin reading at verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord, com- as the Lord commanded. And when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. When I say look down, that means he was on a hill, right? He looked down and saw them coming. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aaron said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David says, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aaron said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. Now I want to point out that this king said, listen, I'll supply the oxen. I'll even let you use these plows to buy the wood, for the wood so that you can offer up the sacrifices. And I'll give them to the king. And Aaron said to the king, may the Lord your God accept them. But the king said to Aaron, no. But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the lamb and the plague was in. Uh, averted from the land. I know some of you say, well, big deal. David built an altar. But this was a total change from what they had. David had been worshiping at Gibeon where the ark was. But now he said, God said, God told Gad, 
Gad, go tell him to buy the threshing floor of Aaron, and I want him to build an altar there. I want him to build an altar. Now, I was talking to someone before service this morning, and maybe you haven't thought about it, but before there were kings, when Abraham was uh, in charge, when Moses was in charge, when Joshua, before the kings, God spoke many times directly to those people. But when they became kings, he usually sent a prophet to speak to them. See, God would rather be the king. Let me say that again. God would rather be the king. But God spoke to Gad, told him to go buy that land. And the king said, the, the king of that area said, listen, you can have this. I don't need to, uh, you don't need to buy it. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the cattle. I'll give you everything that you need to make an offering. And David made a statement. He says, I refused to give my God something that cost me nothing. Now, this is just my opinion. And my opinion won't buy you a cup of coffee anywhere here unless maybe it's out at the Heart Rock Cafe. But my opinion is that there's many, many people, professing Christians, Brother Brown, that want something that costs them nothing. They're okay as long as it doesn't cost them anything. Now, I know some of you think I'm talking just about money. How many knows there's a lot more about it than money? It costs no effort, costs no faithfulness, costs no commitment. And David said, that's not for me. I'm not going to give my God something that costs me nothing. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, how does this fit into the uh, message today? How does this fit into the a circumstance of the insignificant. How many thinks that's kind of an insignificant thing? Go build an altar. I admit it's kind of insignificant. But a lot of times we make decisions that, that have impact. How many, how many know that? Friday night, I, I, Friday night at Wildwood football game, I saw something that never, I've never experienced and seen. You know, they go out there and flip the coin to decide who's going to kick off. Well, Wildwood won the toss. And so we kicked off to start the game. To start the second half, guess what's supposed to happen? Why well, was supposed to get the kickoff, right? They didn't. Didn't get it. And I turned to the official. I said, we kicked off to start the game. He said, yeah. But your captain, whenever he is asked, what's your choice? Do you want to defer or receive? He said, we want to kick off. Now, for those who didn't, don't know what he's talking about, see, normally if you want to kick off, you defer and you get to choose the second half. So we missed the kickoff. We had to kick off to them twice. How many knows that sometimes that could have been totally disruptive? It could have lost the game by making a bad decision. By making a bad decision. And many times when we make decisions, we do not understand the significance of that decision. And I know some of you say, well, Pastor, you're talking about the significance of the insignificant. Sometimes the decisions we make 
we don't have a clue about. To understand the impact of this message here, he said, go by the threshing floor. You have to go back 1,000 years from this time. It was another close to 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And since Jesus was born, it's been over 2,000 years. So to understand the significance of what was going on, you have to go back close to 4,000 years. All the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 2. He said, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Drop down to verse 7, and I know we covered this not too long ago. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But in verse 7, it says this. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. Because God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son and your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, that, as it is said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now the name Moriah means chosen of Jehovah. God chose this place, sent Abraham out to it. He said, I'll show you the mountain. This is where you offer your son. Now, how many thinks that when you offer your son, you're not holding anything back from God? Abraham basically was saying the same thing David said. I'm not going to offer my God something that costs me nothing. And you have to remember, Abraham was well over 100 years old. His son was a young teenager, well able to keep from a hundred-year-old guy putting him on the altar. So that tells me that Isaac was willing. And God provided at Moriah a place chosen of Jehovah. Now this insignificant prophet had instructed David to what seemed to be an insignificant place to build an altar. But we need to look at something else. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. 
Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. This was the same spot that God had directed Abraham to, to offer his son. It's the same spot that Gad said, go by that threshing floor. That's where the temple was built. That was the altar where they were to offer thousands of sacrifices to the Lord God Almighty at the temple of David or the temple of Solomon, the same place. So that insignificant person that gave seemingly insignificant advice turned out to be quite significant. So we realize something. Regardless of how insignificant you feel, regardless of how much of a failure you may think that you are, there's no such thing as insignificant with the Almighty God. Jesus loves me. This I know. As he was singing that in the first service when he sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It talks about learning it as a little kid. I'm glad God loves children, but aren't you glad he loves us old folks too? Huh? Huh? He loves us when we're little. I mean, glad he loves us when we're big. And I've been expanding in the ministry for 50 years. God's good. And we realize something that no one is insignificant in the kingdom of God. This man, Gad, that most of us didn't have a clue, didn't have an idea of who Gad was, but he was David's prophet. And he said, David, you need to get out of town or you're going to be killed. That was a pretty significant statement. He saved David's life. Then he told David, you go down and buy that threshing floor to build an altar. Little did David understand. Little did David know. You say, why do you say that? It was a thousand years ago. David probably had very little training in those areas. He did not know that that threshing floor was where Abraham went to offer Isaac. But God knew. So now I can begin to understand a little bit better. When God says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, that means even those of us that feel so insignificant, those of us that feel like we're failures, those of us that have fallen a number of times, and I'm not going to ask you if you've ever fallen because if you've never fallen, you never walk much. And sometimes we feel insignificant. Sometimes we feel like failures. But when we realize that God is orchestrating. So, but yeah, but that was for somebody important amazing thing that God does. Now, I was privileged to go out uh, fishing yesterday out of, um, yeah, where was it? Clearwater. 
Over there is a aquarium where they had the dolphin that lost his tail. And you had just, the, the dolphin just died. They raised $60 million for that aquarium. Now, I'm all for a porpoise. I'm all for a dolphin. I love animals. But you raise $60 million for an animal out of honoring an animal. And we've lost 61 million lives due to abortion that nobody cares about. Again, I'm not talking against the animal. But I was talking to someone yesterday. They brought that to my attention. Just think of if one of those insignificant fetuses would have had the cure for COVID. Because some of them early on would have been old enough to be doctors now. What if they'd, what if we've killed the person that was insignificant and it could have been someone that discovered the cure for cancer? You say, what are you saying? I'm telling you, there's no such thing as anybody being insignificant in the kingdom of God. That Jesus loves us all. Gad's two prophecies saved David's life. It chose the temple's location. Let me just ask you this. Aren't you glad that God loves the insignificant? I said, aren't you glad that God loves the insignificant? Now, if you hear and say, well, you know, that's not me, that's okay. But when Jesus came the first time, one of the first people to worship him were the insignificant shepherds. Nobodies. Outcasts, basically. Anybody could shepherd, you know, know, that was the job that most people could do. The society thought of them as insignificance, but they were the first to worship Jesus. What about the fishermen? Now, they were businessmen, but they were not the most highly thought of group of people. But they made the biggest group of the disciples. What about the woman at the well? Been married five times. Lived with somebody that was not her husband. She was a Samaritan. And the scripture says Jesus must needs go to Samaria. Now there's a lot of speculation and this is different in, uh, interpretations of why. Because that was the shortest route. But I tend to believe that Jesus knew that there was a woman there. That society would say is insignificant. Unworthy. A reject of society. But Jesus said, I got to go through Jerusalem or or go go through Samaria because there's an insignificant woman there that's looked for love all of her life. And I need to minister to her. And not only did she receive ministry, but so did her friends. 
And what was her sphere of influence? What was her circle of friends? Probably just like most of ours, a lot like ourselves. And see, the disciples, the disciples went to buy some groceries, but he stayed at the well. And he ministered to this woman, and they came back and they were shocked. Because Jesus was speaking to an insignificant. Somebody that was unimportant. Somebody that was a nobody. Somebody that they would have ostracized. See, they had an idea. We got to get back to Jerusalem so we can minister. We've got to get to Jerusalem because that's where it's happening. And Jesus said, no, we've got to go through Samaria because there's an insignificant group there that needs ministry. And he even said it this way, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I've got something to do. Now, I know if you look in the commentaries, you'll find out that they said it was a harvest time and Jesus was pointing out the fields and said, look, the fields are ripe in the harvest. And that probably is true. That's just not the way I see it. Because the Bible tells me this woman went back to get her friends. And while she was gone, Jesus ministered to the disciples. And in my eye, I see the crowd coming. And I think he said, look at the field. Look at the harvest. Look at the harvest is coming. Oh, but we got to get Jerusalem because that's where the significant are. He said, no, we got to get to the insignificant because I didn't come to seek and to save that which was found. I didn't come to heal the, heal the well. I came to the sinners, the insignificant the woman with the issue of blood, I don't think I've ever heard that mentioned, but that was considered unclean. Just like leprosy. But she said, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment. And yes, that insignificant touched him. The crippled, the blind, the sinful. Even the one that was taken from the very act of adultery. You know, I've always wondered about that story. Why didn't they bring the man in? Because the Bible says caught in the very act. Bunch of cowards, they brought the lady. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Even as they were gathered in the upper room, Jesus made a statement to the disciples that was probably an insignificant statement to them. Because see, they were going through it, we look back on it. But it says in Matthew chapter 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is 
my body. I wonder if anybody caught up, caught on to that. I wonder if they grasped the fact that he was telling them, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Those insignificant men that in another one of the letters he said, I've longed or I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Why? Because he was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus came into Jerusalem. Now, what was in Jerusalem? That was the temple where the sacrifices were usually made. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Just a little brief history lesson. What took place on Sunday prior to Passover? What was Jesus doing that first day of the week? After that Passover, getting ready, or after the Sabbath. We call it Palm Sunday. We call it the day of the triumphal Entry. Any, any of you know that? The triumphal entry. Well, you know what's happening in another part of town? Something they did every Passover? Because, see, Passover wasn't a one-time shot. This went on every year. And you know what they did on the first day of the week of Passover? They brought all the lambs that were going to be sacrificed on Passover, brought them into observation so they could be watched to make sure that they met the requirements of being a Passover lamb. Jesus came into town. And for the next four days, they did the same thing with him. They watched him. They looked at him. He was inspected by the priest. He was inspected by Herod. He was inspected by Pilate. He was inspected by the people. And the only thing they could find wrong the only thing he was guilty of is he claimed to be the Son of God. And because he was the Son of God, it qualified him to be the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So in that Passover evening, before the lamb was to be killed, he took out the cup. He said, this is my blood. This is my body. And it was for not just the significant, 
but for the sins of the world. See, if you look at the progression, early on, it was a lamb for individual. Then became a lamb for the family. Then became a lamb for the nation of Israel. But now, it was a lamb of God slain before God. James Davis makes a statement. He says, man throws broken things away, but God never really uses anything until he first breaks it. Insignificant. As I was preparing this message, and I've been mulling over it all week, Because I realize there's no such thing as insignificance in God. But many of us feel we're insignificant. Many of us know that we're failures, that we've messed up. But that's what, and that's who Jesus died for. He said, This is my body that was broken for you. And God has already spoken to us and talked about our healing. In this, there's healing. In this, there's a deliverance. In this, there's the anointing. There's power of God. And I'm thankful that's for the insignificant. The old bodies. And I know you may be here and say, Pastor, you're, you're just going someplace you don't need to go because uh, we don't need that. We're better than that. Chances are you need to know that you're not better than that. The only thing that made us better is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you just bow your heads with me? As the worship team comes, as we prepare our hearts for communion, those of you watching at home, join with us. Holy Spirit, I sense in my spirit that there are people here that are hurting. There are people within the sound of my voice, either here or online, that they feel like they're failures they're the insignificant and the world tells them there's nothing God there's some young people here today they need to know that no one's insignificant to Christ that we're all in you so fathers we prepare our hearts to receive a communion today we ask you to Help us to receive it joyously, but help us to receive it humbly, knowing that it was not a sacrifice that cost nothing. It was a sacrifice that cost God his son, a sacrifice that cost Jesus his life. And God, that you're here to minister to us today. You're here to minister to us today. So we surrender to you and ask you to touch our hearts and touch our lives. And God, if there's anyone here that's never surrendered surrendered their life to you, 
God, if there's someone who thinks they're not good enough, let them know that they're not, but you've made us worthy. So, Father, minister by your power. Minister by your power and your strength even right now. And, God, we're believing that even as we partake of communion together, that the power of forgiveness will go forth, the power of peace, the power of the joy of the Lord, the power of the healing, because you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And you're here to minister to your people. Touch us, touch us, touch us. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.